Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Will you join us as we continue to sing the first Noel? Our ushers will come forward and receive our offering after this song. The first Noel, the angel did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay, in fields where
Thank you, Gerald. Folks, it's Gerald Patton on the piano this morning. Doesn't he do a wonderful job? Thank you. Thank you for coming out. He messed up and put it on Facebook that he um, wasn't serving in a church uh, that he was in for s several years. And I said, well, okay, all right. Well, I know where I can put you Sunday morning. Buddy, come right on down. And um, anyway, Katie, all these Christmas songs are for you in the choir. I know y'all love the Christmas music this morning. So as we continue to sing, choir, will you stand? What child is this? <clears throat> Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and aid. 
Amen, amen. Thank you, choir, and Brother Gerald, Brother Jason, thank you again so much for leading us this morning. And I'll tell you what, um, I feel like at Rocky Valley Baptist Church, we may have the, the very best children's workers in the country. Thank you. And I feel like we may have the very best tech team in the back. Now, I, I want to, yeah, go ahead. That, that video, as good as our children's workers are, they're not tech team. Um, that video was given to our tech team Wednesday, maybe, um, in cell phone video format. Uh, and, uh, and they worked so hard. So thank you. Uh, so much for putting that together. And you know what, Jason, I agree. We could probably start making videos. I was thinking I may start swinging in on a zip line <laughs> and let them record that and kind of piece it in to the Facebook Live. Now, for somebody, the last time I mentioned the zip line, somebody said something about it needed to be a solid steel cable. I don't want any of that <laughs> comment after the service today, all right? I don't want to hear that mess, but... This morning we gather, and it is such a wonderful time of the year to get together with the church as we celebrate this season of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I think Tell Me the Story of Jesus is a fitting song to go with this season. And I think it's a fitting song to go with our children's program because that's exactly what those children's workers are seeking to do is put the story of Jesus on the hearts of these children, that they would learn it and that they would be able to, to write the story of Jesus on their hearts. And that's what we really all seek to do, is that we would be able to have the story of Jesus written on our heart, every word, from his miraculous birth to his agonizing death, to his resurrection, to his grace and his mercy that runs through our lives. And so I, I love the buzz and the anticipation that our kids had as they were getting ready to perform. Uh, and, and I only wish that we would have that same air in our lives, that we would yearn to worship our Savior in such a way that we would have a, an, an anticipation that we'd want to count it down, that we'd want to count it down as worship service started every Sunday. I can't wait to worship my Savior. Let me count it back down. And so the last three weeks... Uh, we have been looking at the theme of Advent, been looking at the idea of Advent. We established that the term Advent really just meant simply to look forward to the arrival of someone important, to look forward to the arrival of someone important. And that arrival of that baby in Bethlehem, it was definitely the most important arrival in all of human history. And so the first week we talked about Advent, we discussed the hope that we find in Christ alone. The hope that we find in Christ alone. We said that, that hope that is focused on something worldly is passing and fleeting and will perish and will go away as the thing that you put your hope in passes and goes away. But the hope that is found in Jesus Christ is eternal because Jesus Christ never fades and never falters. And so the hope in Christ alone is an eternal hope. We then looked to the peace that we find in Christ alone. And we looked at the peace in worldly things and how it is really 
Uh, not a peace that is from something. It is a peace that is from the absence of something. We said peace found in worldly things is the term that is used when there is no trouble. There's an absence of trouble. But we said the peace that passes all understanding comes when we have a peace that is from the arrival of a Savior and not from the absence of something. Last week we talked about the joy that we can find in Christ alone. We said that joy in worldly pleasures will fade, it will pass away, it will be gone, it will be fleeting, it will be for a moment. Anything that you place your joy in that is not Jesus Christ will let you down and you'll no longer rejoice. But that joy that is found in Christ alone is an unspeakable joy. That word we said meant there was no language that could be written to describe the joy that we experience in Jesus Christ alone. Why? Because it is a joy that is rooted in an unfading heavenly ambition and not in a worldly place. This morning, we wrap up our Advent focus with a discussion on the subject of love and the love that is found in Christ alone. And so to discuss love... It's a subject that we can all relate to in some way. Uh, And it can make it difficult to make the subject focus on Christ alone. I would venture to say that there is not a person here who could not think of an earthly love that you experienced. There is some earthly love that you have experienced. A spouse, a father, a mother, a child, a dear friend, a dear family member. Someone special in your life that you can say has loved you and that you have loved. And so you've experienced love on this earth. And so, and so with all of us having an earthly experience of love, how do we relate this kind of love that is found only in Christ? So we've all experienced love, so how do we differentiate? How do we make it known that, that this love that is found in Christ is a special kind of love? And this morning we're going to look to four measures of the love of Christ. And as we do, I believe we'll see... That the love found in Christ is much sweeter, much deeper, and much truer than even the strongest human relationship that we could ever experience on this earth. So please stand this morning in honor and reverence of the reading and the teaching of the holy words of our holy God from Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Let us pray. Father God, God, let us take just a few moments this morning to magnify and glorify your holy name, Lord. God, would you bind any spirit or any thought that may hinder us from what you would have for us for the next few moments? And God, let your church lift you up because you alone are worthy of our worship and you alone are worthy of our praise. So God, you have your way and your will and we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you do. And it's in your precious name that we pray as all God's children said, and you may be seated. Now, to discuss, to discuss the love of our Lord, there were many places in Scripture that we could have gone to. 
many places that we could have gone to. Uh, but I believe that this particular place really digs deep into what separates the love of Christ from all the other loves that we experience. And the first measure of his love for us can be found in how little we deserve his love. How little we deserve his love. You know, it's a special feeling to be loved. It really is. Would we all agree this morning that to be loved is a special feeling that we have? And sometimes we feel that love and it's in a relationship where you might say we've always, we've always held up our end of the bargain, you might say. We've always done what we were supposed to do to receive that love in return. We've always done those things. There are many people in my life uh, who might say that they love me and I've never let them down. I've never really let them down. I've never done anything to dismiss their love from me. I've never done anything that would cause them not to love me. And so they would say that they love me, but there are others in my life, my family, my wife, who love me still. Do you know what I mean? They love me still, in spite of me. They love me even though I have done everything within my power humanly possible to, to make it where they couldn't love me anymore. They still love me. They love me even though I don't deserve it. I've let them down. I haven't held up my end of the bargain, you might say. And, and you know, there's something special about that love, the kind of love that you have where you know that you've tried your best to cause that person to, to not love you anymore, but they still do. It's a sweet, sweet spirit in that kind of love. And it kind of proves how strong their love is for us when they continue to love us when we don't deserve it. Look what verse 8 says about this love of Christ. It says he demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were what? Say that with me again. He demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were, while we were still sinners. Notice it doesn't say that he demonstrates his love for us as long as we hold up our end of the bargain. It doesn't say that God demonstrates his love for us in that when we get ourselves cleaned up and when we act right and do the right things, Christ dies for us. It doesn't say that he demonstrates his own love for us and that when we straighten ourselves up and fix ourselves and put a bow on ourselves, then the blood of Christ can be applied to our lives. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us while we were in the muck and in the mire and in our hell-bound state. He loved us enough to die for us anyway. It doesn't say that we have to do anything in order to get that love. It says that love is there. And it's a love that we don't deserve. There's nothing that we've ever done that could make us deserve that love. In fact, I would even say that the tone and the tenor of the Bible would suggest more that there's not anything we could do. To earn that love, there's nothing that we could accomplish. Do you realize that no matter how bad or how good you've been, you haven't done anything that would earn the love of Jesus Christ? There's nothing you could ever do to earn the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're a sinner and you're separated from a holy God. And you can't fix that. And because you can't fix that, you can't earn that love. But praise God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, That is by grace through faith and not of ourselves or our works. Why? Because if it was of our works, we would boast about it and tell about what we had done. 
We get cleaned up, we get on the other side, we look back and say, boy, I made myself ready for the king. I made myself ready for God. And what the Bible would suggest is that every time I've tried to make myself ready, I just took a step further away. But when I quit trying to make myself ready and I said, I can't, I'm a sinner and I need a savior, that's when Jesus can do something with us. He can clean us up and he can demonstrate his love to us in that while we were sinners, He would die for us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We've never done anything good enough to get it. But he loves us anyway. Ain't that something about that love? That we're sinners. And he loves us anyway. So we can tell the measure of the love of Christ. And that he loves us even when we don't deserve it in any way at all. But we can also tell the measure of his love and why he loves us. And why he loves us. God demonstrates his love for us. It's not because an outside force has somehow pushed it, not because something has made it happen, not because it is owed to us in any way. He's not owed to love us. He wasn't owed to us to send us a Savior. He didn't owe us anything. God loves us out of his own free choice and his own free will to love us because he is a holy God. Nothing makes God love us. Nothing, nothing, there's nothing above God to tell him anyway, but nothing, nothing in the universe pressed upon God and said, you got to love mankind. Nothing pressed that upon. He chose to love mankind. He did it because he wants to. Think of it this way. If someone shows you love because someone else is forcing them, do you think that they really love you? If a life insurance company were to pay you $100,000 when your spouse died... I doubt you would ever sit back and go, oh, that life insurance company, they really love me. They sent me $100,000. They didn't send you $100,000 because they loved you. They sent you $100,000 because there was a legal contract that said that's what they had to do. They gave you the money because you were owed the money. But in that same season of your spouse's death, if your Sunday school class cooked your family meals every night for a month, you might be inclined to say that they loved you, wouldn't you? Why? Because nobody made them do that. They did that because they wanted to. They did that because they chose to. And they displayed their love for you by doing something that you didn't deserve with no force from the outside making them do it. They had complete and total freedom not to. You know, I I get this one a lot. Well, Brother Jason, if God is so loving... Why does he let anybody go to hell? Well, if God is so loving, why does he let anybody just go to hell? Now, let me just, let me take a second to make my point here. And here's my short answer. If God weren't so loving, everybody would go to hell. Let me say that again. To the question, if God is so loving, if you say that God is love and the love in God is special and that he demonstrates his love to us while we're still sinners, then why does he let some people go to hell? And my answer to that question wouldn't be why do some people go to hell. It would be why are some people saved from hell? The fact that anybody, the fact that anybody, let me say that again, the fact that anybody 
has access to a Savior is a demonstration of the greatness of the love of God. We all deserve hell. That's what we all deserve. And the fact that any of us can be saved says that God is a loving God and that he demonstrates it by sending us a Savior. Well, you're just one of those old Baptist preachers, Jason. You're just one of those preachers that that just preaches about hell and heaven and all those. So you're right. I am one of those old preachers that just preaches this book from cover to cover and I'm just dumb enough to believe everything from Genesis to Revelation to be the holy word of a holy God and I'm just crazy enough to step out on faith and say not only do I believe it but I think it's been given to me in order that I might live my life by it and I'm just silly enough to believe that when God impressed upon me that I was supposed to preach his holy word that he gave me a book from which to preach and said I didn't need anything else and when I studied this book from Genesis to Revelation the tone and the tenor of what I pick up is not that God is not loving because he sends people to hell think of it this way this is going to blow your mind you've got a holy creator in Genesis 1 it says the one that thought it all and breathed it all and spoke it all into existence is a holy holy God In Genesis, it says that he created mankind and he created us in his own image. Out of everything else he created, he created mankind and he put us in his own image. He said they will have reign and they will have dominion over everything else I created. And they will glorify me in this creation. But we didn't make it very long, did we? Our very first ancestors, Adam and Eve, they entered into sin by taking of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. They had but one thing they weren't supposed to do. God said, don't eat of that tree. And they ate the fruit of the tree. And so you mean to tell me this. I want to just break it. We'll get sciencey for a minute. Y'all know I like to get real sciencey sometimes. We'll get sciencey for a minute. A holy God created people to glorify him, gave him one thing not to do, and we did it. And you think we ought not be punished for it? What would happen if one of those scientists who tries his best to tell me there is no God created a robot that was supposed to cause a car not to ever rear-end another car, and that robot failed? Why, that creator would probably scrap that project altogether, wouldn't he? But a holy God created a a sinful man. We sinned. And instead of scrapping us all together, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to love them anyway. And I'm going to send my son that they might be reconciled. The creator of the world would be perfectly justified that we would all go to hell. And we should be all stricken. And we should be humbled. And we should be taken aback every time we recognize that but while we were sinners, he loved us anyway. While we were sinners, he loved us anyway. The measure of why he loves us. He does it. Why? Because he is a good, good father. It's just who he is. He's a good father. The third way that we're going to look this morning at the love of Christ alone is by the measure of what it cost him. What what was the cost of his love? Look at the end of verse 8 with me. What are those last four words in that? Say it with me. Christ died for us. He did what? 
What did, that, what, did, what did it cost him to demonstrate his love for us? He died. Now, don't, don't gloss over that or read it too quickly because we have a tendency to do that. We're, we're thousands of years removed from this event, so sometimes we read through it real quickly and we go, Christ died for us. And in our minds, we think about a cross and we think about some blood. We think about a scene. We think about Easter. We think about resurrection. And then we move on to verse 9. But I want you to stop at the end of verse 8 with me just for a few minutes. He died for us. Ephesians 5, 2 says that he gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for us. Think about, think about that just a moment with me. Think about physically what he was given up. Think about physically what he was giving up. First off, he was, he was a young man still. In terms of, of how long the lifespan would be on this earth, he was but 33 years old. It's not like he was near the end of his days in terms of the earthly journey and he would decide, hey, instead of just dying of a heart attack, I'm just going to go to a cross. He was a young man as he gave up his life. He was the oldest son of a widow mother. He was needed on this earth. In terms of his family unit, he was needed. In that time, he would have been the one that was placed in the care of his mother. We see him at the cross in John 19 that he, gets, he takes care of her by passing the care on to, the, to the John from the cross. And so he was a young man. He was needed on this earth. Let's go even further, though. He was a sinless man on this earth. He was completely sinless. 1 Peter 2.22 says that he committed no sin and that no deceit was found in his mouth. Matthew 22.16 says that even his enemies could find no fault in him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it doesn't take anybody being that much of an enemy of Jason Maul to find fault in Jason Maul. I'm going to say even my greatest friends could find faults in me. But this says that even his enemies, the ones who were looking for something to call a fault of his, even his enemies could find no fault in him. And so the life he gave was no normal human life. Now, sure, that sacrifice would have been costly. But this life that he gave up was a perfect and sinless life. Of all the lives in all of history, no other life was more worthy of living and less worthy of dying. But he gave himself up for you. But not only what he gave up physically, think about what he endured physically. Do you know, to get to the place... <laughs> where he would die for us. Jesus had to prepare and, and plan for this. He, he had to leave the glory of heaven, put on flesh and take on human nature. He, he had to leave the glory of heaven, put on flesh and take on a human nature. He had to endure hunger and weariness and suffering, and would ultimately die. Taking on human flesh, he developed all the nerve endings to feel the pain as the nails would pierce his hands. <coughs> he had to grow into a man with a back big enough to take our stripes that we deserve. He, he had to grow into a man to grow to be scoured. He had to grow a brow and a skull to have a place for the crown of thorns 
to drive into. He had to grow cheeks to receive the kiss of cursing from Judas. He had to have a body big enough for the soldiers to spit on. He had to have a side for the spears to pierce. He had to put on flesh to have it torn, beaten, bruised, and killed. Well, Jesus endured a great cost when he demonstrated his love for you. His death was not quick. It was not fleeting. It was not momentarily. It was agonizing. It was the worst kind of torture designed for humans. And the cost of his sacrifice is a direct reflection of the depth of his love for you. And friends, that sacrifice was awful. And his love, it's incredible. So how do you know what's one of the measures of how much Christ loves you? It's in the way that he died for you. What it cost him to show his love for you. The final measure of the love of Christ we'll look at this morning is the measure of the benefit of his love for us. The measure of the benefit to us of his love for us. You know, if somebody helps get you a job, you may feel a a certain amount of love for them. Someone sticks around long after the service is over to help you find your keys you may feel a certain amount of love from them. But if someone were to set you free from a captivity and a doomed state, not only for this earthly life, but for eternity, and give you a mansion in glory, well, you might say that's an entirely different kind of love altogether, wouldn't you? I would say that love is beyond any human understanding. 1 John 3 says that what love the Father has given us that we could be called the children of God. So how do we measure the benefit to us of the love of Christ? Well, quite simply it's this. Your holy God, holy creator, created us in his image. We fell from his grace by sin entering into our lives. And ever since Adam and Eve's first sin, every man ever born, every person ever born from that day on had a nature of sin by which we had a debt that we couldn't pay. That means that every person born since Adam and Eve deserved hell. But by the grace of God, God would send his son Jesus to endure that agonizing death on the cross. And the benefit of us receiving that love of Jesus Christ would be that we would not go to hell, that we would not be separated from God, and it's that we would be able to live in eternity with Jesus Christ who saved us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that is a pretty good retirement plan in my book. That benefits package sounds pretty sweet to me. You got two choices. One choice is to be separated from the God that you yearn to be near for an eternity and suffer in hell. And the other choice 
It's to spend an eternity praising and glorifying your Father God who created you. Why? Because He loves you and you love Him. Why? Because it's what you were created to do in the first place. You have the option to do what you were made to do. And my friends, that is pretty special to be able to do what we were made to do. And so in the celebration of the birth of this baby during this season, let us not lose sight of the fact that that baby... That baby laying in a manger would one day show his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he would die for us. And there is no other way by which men are saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. That precious baby born on Christmas Day. So this morning, if you're here, you've been going through this Christmas season, you say, Brother Jason, I just don't feel the love that I used to feel. I don't feel as close to God as I once did. I feel separated. There's been decisions I've made, things I've done. I just don't feel like I'm supposed to feel anymore. Would you come this morning and lay it down at the feet of Jesus? Because he died for you. He died for you. And if he saved you, he saved you for an eternity. And he's waiting for you to come home. And maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never come to the point where you say, I want to follow Jesus. Would you come this morning? Would you come this morning and accept the love that Christ has for you? Let us pray. Father God, God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that that baby in that manger didn't stay a baby, God. We thank you that he would grow and that he would demonstrate his love to us and that while we were so undeserving, he would die for us anyway. That while we weren't worthy of it, he would give it anyway. And God, we thank you that we still have access to come to you, Father. So God, if there be someone here hurting, someone here struggling, someone here uh, who just needs uh, to come, and lay their burdens at your feet. Would you give them the courage to do it this morning? To come and lay their burdens at your feet. And enjoy this Christmas season in the love of Christ. And God, for, for that person who may be here, who has never surrendered to you and said, I want to follow Jesus. Would you give them the courage and the conviction, God? Would you save them this morning? God, we love you. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for what you do. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.